Here we go. 9.8 to go. Levine gets it. Watched by Beal. Here's Levine. On his way to the rim. To the rack. No good. Wow. Beal gets fouled and wow. that'll do it. Greg Popovich. Played very well tonight. Great team defense. Did a good job. Kobe Bryant. What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Basketball is hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. You can find the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast on Spotify, where you can catch a lot of the episodes that you don't hear on the Cap and J Hood podcast feed. If you're a Cap and J Hood listener, thanks so much for checking out the podcast. If you love basketball, whether it's the NBA, college basketball, we got it covered for you every single week on the Another Hood Basketball Podcast. So let's talk about the Chicago Bulls. You just heard from Adam Amin and Stacey King on the call on NBC Sports Chicago. The Bulls lose against the Washington Wizards as we record this on Wednesday morning. They'll take on the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll break that game down in just a moment as the Bulls are a three-point underdog at home against the Pelicans. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But nonetheless, let's take a look at the Bulls and their loss against the Wizards, 105-101. to You heard the closing moments of the game in which Zach Levine, for whatever reason, was looking for contact, looking for a foul in the closing moments instead of just going right to the rim and dunking it on dude. Why did he not just take it to the rim on a layup or a dunk? He was looking for contact, and it just was not there. There was no call made because that was a good non-call, and the Bulls lose a game against a hapless Wizards team. That game on Monday did not have Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has been hurt all season long. No one's talking about it, and Russ doesn't want to talk about it, but from what I'm hearing from my peeps in D.C., yeah, he's not been 100%, and he's playing through it, trying to help this hapless Wizards team. Bradley Beal, though, he was healthy, 35 points, 14 for 15 from the field, uh, from the foul line, I should say, 1 for 5 from 3, and the Wizards at 6-15 and 15, defeated the Bulls 105-101. to 101. Okay, so... As I've told you many times, I'm preaching patience with this team because I don't expect a lot from this Bulls team this year. But the thing that aggravates me as a basketball fan is when teams beat themselves. Like So Zach Levine did everything he could with 35 points in 38 minutes of play. He had six assists. And I'm not throwing any shade at Zach Levine because he's doing all he can. We have talked already on this podcast about being the best player on a bad team. And Zach is giving the production. But when you've got to close, you got to close, man. you got to get to the basket and you got to find a way to score. Here's what we know about the Bulls. There are no super, superstars in this team that's going to get superstar calls. Bradley Beal is on a bad team, but because he's aggressive. And here's the difference. Bradley Beal was 14 for 15 from the foul line. How many foul shots does Zach Levine have? He was 8 for 11 from the foul line. 
But you see, Bradley Beal's getting calls because he's always the aggressor. When you are camped out at the three-point stripe and you're always trying to shoot from the moon, hey, if that's your game, that's great. But don't look for calls, especially if you're not a superstar. That's just what it, the way it is in the league, whether that's fair or unfair. So no shade at Zach Levine, but you had to close in that spot. And so when I look at this team and I see Thaddeus Young giving his all off the bench with 14 points and six assists and five rebounds, that's cool because he's giving production that Lowry Markin is not giving for this Bulls team. Patrick Williams is developing. Gafford is developing. They both had 20 points uh, apiece uh, in the backcourt. Kobe White is still someone that is still not polished enough to be able to harness an offense. The positive about Kobe White, he had one turnover. He was out there for 30 minutes. He did not knock down a three. He had eight points and eight rebounds. So he's still still trying to figure things out with the game. And I get that. But the Bulls are really in desperate need of someone that is a lead guard. It's positional basketball. I get that. But a Levine doing the scoring, who's doing the distributing? That's the thing. 23 assists on 36 field goals made by the Bulls. The the leader in assists, it was tied between Thaddeus Young, who was great from the post, being able to distribute the basketball inside, and then six assists for Zach Levine. So here's how I look at this Bulls team right now going into the New Orleans game. The Bulls need to get healthy. That's number one. Wendell Carter Jr. is not really part of the team when I don't see him. And then we come to find out that Marketing is out for two to four weeks. I'm thinking in a contract situation here for Marketing that he has to go elsewhere. His unavailability hurts this basketball team. When he was out there, he was looking good, being able to shoot the basketball from the outside. He was doing some good things offensively for the Bulls. But once again, he's hurt. Wendell Carter Jr. is hurt. This is why I'm I'm not like my guy Stacy that told me at the beginning of the season, Stacy King says, I see this Bulls team winning 50 games. Hell no, they're not winning 50 games because I'm not putting that pressure on Billy Donovan in year one of this Bulls team. I really believe that Karnaschovas and Eversley have to take a serious look at this basketball team and figure out who's going to be the number two and number three on this team as far as scoring. If Zach Levine's the one that they're going to give full boat money to, cool. If that's who you believe has got to be the guy to lead this Bulls team, that's great. But who's going to be the second and third? That's not going to be Thaddeus Young because he's just an aging veteran that's doing a really good job with this Bulls team. Uh, we asked on the Cap and J Hood Morning Show, is Thaddeus Young the second best bull on the team? If Thaddeus Young is the second best bull on the team, then your team's got a problem because it should be younger players stepping up. I don't know what Kobe White is for the future. I just know I need to have him in one of two categories, double digits and points on a regular basis and not how many he scores, but when he scores them in clutch moments. I need him also to be able to distribute the basketball to try to make others better. That's going to take time too for a young player. As I mentioned, I like what I've seen from Patrick Williams so far uh, as a young player on this Bulls team. But keep in mind all the injuries along with Hutchinson who's out for personal reasons I've not been able to find out what those personal reasons are but he's not playing that's a young guy that you love to see and develop and to see what he's doing and, and and how he's doing and whether or not he's part of your future but having Felicio out there and Archie Diacono like 
that's not going to get it done. Sadoransky's a nice piece for a team. I know that he was plugged in last year as if he was going to be this big difference maker. Yeah, he was on a bad team. But Sadoransky off the bench giving you minutes. He gives you, he's a Swiss Army knife. He does everything. He can defend two or three different positions. He can give you 10 points a game. He can give you seven, eight rebounds, three or four assists. It's no, no one I really rely on, but Sato is a guy that you could utilize for doing multiple things on the floor. But in this league, as you well know as a basketball fan, that's why you listen to the podcast, you need to have three players you can depend on. Three. On an offensive end, everyone is not entitled to a big three, but you got to find three guys you can depend on. Is Zach Levine and then who? Denzel Valentine, uh, Felicio, Garrett Temple. That's the frustration right now. And again, this is not a season where this the Bulls are supposed to go into the playoffs or going to the championship. But this should be a season where you can evaluate at the end of the season, okay, who are we going to ride with? Who's going to be our guys moving forward? That's a big question. Some thoughts now from Billy Donovan after the Bulls lost against the Wizards 105-101. to 101. You know, I, I thought probably like maybe around, I think from the five-minute mark, maybe down around the three-minute mark or so, I thought we got a little frantic on, on offense in particular. And um, I thought we were rushing shots and, you know, we didn't, didn't didn't move and cut and pass we kind of got back to that and that got us back in the game and then you know we were always playing catch up for for most of the night and um you know we 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 executed actually pretty well coming down the stretch the last couple plays there and you know obviously uh we we fouled brad um but you know we had a chance you know and and i think you know zach getting all the way downhill and attacking the basket was a good play but i did think early like late in the second in the fourth quarter but it was more to me around like from like six minutes to th- to three minutes. We didn't we didn't generate enough good things offensively. All right, Jamal, you got the next one here. Go ahead. Uh, just one. What did you think of uh, Zach's look at the rim there at the end? I think you kind of mentioned it. And then just like uh, you know, you guys missing so many players. Um, you know, I think last year, Zach, uh, at that time, it feels like kind of the only, oh, was more honest on himself. It, it kind of looks like at times, uh, just kind of, I guess, what do you want his, his mindset necessarily to be kind of going forward? And how do you think he sort of played kind of within that tonight, I guess? Um, I, you know, I, I thought Zach played downhill. He was aggressive. Um, you listen, the last play of the game, he took it to the basket. I mean, with his athleticism, I mean, you know, again, it wasn't going to be a winning play unless maybe they fouled him. But, you know, he got to the room to at least tie it. And, you know, it didn't didn't make it. I want to go look and, and see the play. Um, but I thought overall he was aggressive. I, you know, I, I think one of the things just for our team that, that was a problem is I thought their size hurt us with some of the, our front court guys being out. I thought size was a factor for us tonight. I thought the other thing, too, is we fouled entirely too much, you know, put them to the free throw line at a, you know, at an incredible rate. And when you're not shooting the ball as well as we have been in the past from the three-point line, I think we were two for 14 at the half. And then you're fouling. Uh, I don't know what they ended up with, 37 free throws, I think. They had maybe 14 at the half, you know. So it's it's it was just too many things to overcome. And, you know, some of it was size, some of it we've got to be better. But I think in that second quarter, we put them in the bonus – I don't know, with nine minutes to go in the quarter. And, you know, we, we had talked about some of this stuff because I think the two games in Washington, they had taken 67 free throws against us in two games. 
So the, the things that we needed to do in the game, you know, in particular the things that we had control over, I, I, I think that we didn't, we didn't do as good of a job and we needed to be better. Billy Donovan, Matt, not making any excuses for how the Bulls have played uh, as of late, and especially that game against Washington. He talks about the the when he talks about the foul shots, he's talking about the lack of defense from the Bulls, and this is something that happened in the Boylan administration last year, and it's happening here with Donovan. It's an evaluation to find out who can actually guard. Bulls have given up a ton of points, that is for sure, defensively. Zach Levine had a chance to. Uh, helped the Bulls at the end of the game. He talked to the press afterwards as the Bulls lost that game against Washington. Happened before to us. We just got, we obviously haven't figured out how to win games that we, you know, are obviously capable of winning. And uh, like you said, yeah, it's frustrating. You got to look at yourself first and figure out what I can do better and then look outward. All right, Jamal, your turn. Get a chance to look at that uh, last shot at the rim and, and kind of what your thoughts are. Maybe what do you think you could have done differently, I guess? I wouldn't done different. Just, you know, make the layup. I thought I drove and created contact. The rest saw it differently. Can't, uh, you know, everybody say you put the pressure on the rim at the end of the game. You know, don't settle. I thought I did that. I thought I created contact. Just, uh, you know, I guess I got to make the layup. Zach Levine guesses he has to make the layup. No, you've got to make the layup. Not you guess. You guess. No, you've got to make that layup, dog. You have to. You've got to not just creating contact at the end because that's the end of the game. You make the difference because you're the one that's the best scorer on the team. Yeah, I didn't understand that answer, but he was frustrated after the game, clearly. So the Bulls take on the Pelicans coming up on Wednesday night. It's an 8 o'clock start central time for the Bulls uh, against the New Orleans Pelicans. Pelicans have been hot. Pelicans, as I mentioned, is a three-point favorite coming into Chicago. Pelicans had some struggles um, earlier in the season trying to figure out who they are, but wins against the Suns, a playoff team, the Pacers, possible playoff team, the Grizzlies, and the Rockets. I watched the uh, Pelicans and Rockets last night as the Pelicans won that game by the score of 130-101. to So in this game, Zion Williamson had foul trouble, but yet the Pelicans still put the foot on the gas offensively. Zion had 20 points and seven assists. And my question for Zion, just wondering, like, does he still have the lift that he once did before the injury? Now, he's still formidable for sure as a guy that can get to the foul line, a guy that can be able to score. I mean, he had 20 points, as I mentioned, against the Rockets, a Rockets team that's a head scratcher, by the way. We'll get into that another time. Uh, But I like... The combination of Zion, Brandon Ingram, who I was a big fan of with the Lakers and now with this Pelicans team, finding his stroke offensively with 22 points. And, um, of course, Bledsoe as well. Bledsoe is a good player for this team. I had 10 points in the game. Watch for Lonzo Ball. Now, here's what's interesting. So, on the Captain J. Hood Morning Show, and I've read this several places, that the Bulls covet Lonzo Ball, that they would think that Lonzo could be a Chicago Bull as a one-two punch with Zach Levine. I don't think I want that. <laughs> Just a matter of fact, um, I think Lonzo Ball is is okay. 
He can shoot the three, but it's very streaky. He had 15 points in the game against Houston the other night, but I don't know if I want Lonzo Ball on the Bulls, but that's the rumor, right? Steven Adams uh, is a big in there as well. So here's what I want to look for. I want to see if there's some toughness on the interior for the Bulls defensively because Steven Adams, even though he is someone uh, that is – a bruiser and can get in there and get easy points underneath the basket. I want to know if the Bulls can do something about that defensively. Get Adams out of the lane. Williamson's going to be in the lane. Ingram's going to be either either shoot from the outside or go inside. So it's really an interesting test defensively for the Bulls against this Pelicans team. I think the Pelicans probably will pull this out. I think it's going to be a close game. But the Pelicans have a lot of offense going for them. And they are on a nice hot streak. We'll see what the Bulls can do about Stan Van Gundy and the Pelicans at the United Center. Yo, man. Open up, man. What do you want, man? My girl just caught me. You made her catch you? I don't know how I let this happen. With who? The girl next door, you know? I don't know what to do. So it wasn't you. All right. I was absolutely tripping to see Shaggy on the Super Bowl commercial. Where's Shaggy been? Let me tell you about DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. UFC 258 is this weekend. You could bet $1 on any fighter on the main event to reign victorious. And if your fighter wins, you will cash $100. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Download the top-rated DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code WMVP when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 on your chosen title contender to win. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code WMVP to turn $1 into $100 on the main event Saturday night. For a limited time only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Illinois only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has got a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let me call my guy Travis Wacker. A big Milwaukee Bucks fan. It works for us at ESPN 1000. Does a great job. I want to talk to Travis about uh, what else is going on in the East with the Milwaukee Bucks. Do they have the, the sustained success to be able to win the East and then pay dividends by getting to the finals against whoever in the West, right? So let me call Travis and we'll talk some Milwaukee Bucks basketball and everything else in the East right here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen, Travis Wacker from our station here at ESPN 1000. Huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. He's all about fear of the deer. Watched the Bucks uh, on Tuesday night. They defeated the Denver Nuggets 125 to 112. Travis joins me here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Travis, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the invite. Oh, of course, man. I mean, you're all about the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, so I decided to turn to an expert, right? So this 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 Bucks team, as I told you coming into the season, I told you I said Travis, you know, the thing is like I understand that the Bucks had to be able to make some changes to make Giannis happy, and I said, well, Middleton, fine, okay, let's see what happens there. But I was wondering whether or not they had enough bench depth. Tell me your thoughts on what you've seen from the Bucks so far through the first what twenty four twenty five games of the season. Right, I think. You know, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, the bench depth isn't quite where it used to be. 
Um, and, you know, that's going to come natural with the Drew Holiday trade. Um, but I think, you know, it's the long-term focus here. You look at the years past with the Bucks and they have that bench depth, but then when they get to the playoffs, they kind of flounder out, um, you know, earlier than they should. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year, you know, with the shorter bench. And obviously when you get to the playoffs, you shorten your rotations too anyways. Um, so come playoff time, when it's time to make it or break it, um, you know, that bench depth isn't, you know, as important as, you know, it might be during the regular season. Travis, does this season feel differently than the last? Yeah, I mean, to me, as a fan, um, it definitely feels different for sure, especially with the Drew Holiday trade. And that's when you really see the organization putting all the chips to the middle of the table, mm -hmm. um, you know, giving up all that draft capital, giving up players um, with the likes of, you know, Bledsoe and George Hill, um, you know, really seeing ownership, you know, really make a move at it. And to me, it's one of those make it or break it seasons. And, you know, obviously Giannis signed the Supermax and uh, Chris has his contract and that's all well and good. Um, but, you know, this is really the time and, you know, the next signing you have to make is get Drew Holiday to sign that extension when it comes due. I was impressed by the last game the Bucks played against Denver. Uh, and because we're talking about the Joker, right? So Nikola Jokic is just one of the best, one of the best centers, if not the best center in the league. Yet 35 points and mm -hmm. 12 rebounds. But yet you saw a, a defensive presence by Milwaukee coming from behind because Denver was filling it up big time. 42 points in the first quarter. But yep. the resolve of the Bucks, not just from Giannis, but also from Middleton as well. And then getting, and then DiVincenzo also part of that starting rotation the heavy minutes for these guys. I just thought that that was a signature win on the road against Denver, uh, which is going to be a quality playoff team. Right, 100% agree. And to me, you know, all the points you touched on and then you add on that Drew Holiday wasn't available right. due to the health safety protocol. I mean, that's just, that's one of those statement wins. Um, you know, the Bucks were slow and steady throughout the game and, Obviously, both teams got off to a blazing hot start in the first quarter, um, just hitting threes from everywhere on the court, with the exception of Middleton. Um, but then Middleton pick it, picked it up in other places, from the free throw line, in the assist game. Um, had the highest plus minus on the team for the evening at plus 17. Um, it was just, it, it, we're going to look back on this game, you know, if the Bucks, depending on how far they make it in the playoffs, you might be able to look at that game as one of those signature wins that really kind of set the tone for the season. Uh, on Wednesday night, the Bucks are a four. See, let me check DraftKings. They're a four and a half point favorite against Phoenix. And this is just a, a great, these are all great tests, Travis, because Phoenix yeah. is a much more improved uh, basketball team. I like, obviously, who doesn't like Devin Booker, right? A guy who gives you 24 points a right. game. Chris Paul is a stabilizer as a lead guard for the team. Everyone needs like a Chris Paul as far as his. You know, is locker room presence and just a guy that may not just wow you, but just the little things, the intangibles he brings to Monty Williams' team. So how do you see this one? Again, the Bucks are a very talented team, but they're taking on a Suns team that's much more improved than the last few years. Yeah, I think, you know, this is another one of those big tests. 
Drew Holiday has already been declared out, again, due to health and safety protocols. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Phoenix's injury report looks like today. I know Chris Paul is a day-to-day situation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so really seeing how the rest of the team picks it up defensively, again, against the likes of Devin Booker, who will hit a shot from anywhere on the court. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if it gets off to one of those first quarters we saw in Denver the other night, or if the Bucks really are able to come out in the first quarter and clamp down on defense um, from the get-go. So, again, a huge test. And, you know, one of the, one of the plays we're starting to see now um, that we hadn't seen the team, the Bucks execute previously is when Giannis is able to slip behind the defense in the dunker spot and Middleton being able to throw that lob over the top of the defense for the alley-oops. Um, or the lay-ins. That's that's a play that Chris has struggled with previously in years past. Um, and then you see him executed beautifully, you know, a couple of times against Denver. Um, you know, that's another sign of improvement. And to get behind that Denver defense, um, you know, obviously Giannis is a hard person to lose on the court. Um, right. But when he's able to slip behind and um, get those blobs from Chris now, that just adds another element to their offense. So, Travis, the way I look at the East right now, and in my whole serve, Philadelphia right now has been very impressive. It's one of the it's one of my guilty pleasures on the NBA package to watch the Sixers with Doc Rivers. Doc comes from the Clippers to the Sixers. It's a real real strong five, just like the Bucks have a very at least if not five, definitely four guys you can depend on every single night. But then I look at the Nets, and so to your point. The, the Bucks have to be better than everyone else in the East in order for them to survive because I know Brooklyn can score. We've seen a ton of that. But, man, they just don't yeah. guard. They just don't. I Like, James Harden could take over a game. KD could take over. Kyrie, that's fine. But as they are free-falling, you know, with their three-game losing streak, and they're going to be fine, the point is, yeah. though, is that they, they don't guard. And so it's up to the Bucks right. and the Sixers to be the teams that actually could stop someone here uh, this season because if you don't guard, you, your shelf life's not going to be very long, I don't believe. Right, 100% agree. And, and you look at Brooklyn – like you said, you know, they're not guarding anybody. They had one of the worst um, defensive games in NBA history the other week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not saying that, you know, that's how they're going to be trending the entire year. But, you know, obviously, whichever team can play defense against them is going to have the best chance to beat them in a seven-game series. Um, you know, the Bucks are a game and a half out of first in the conference. Um, and Bede is playing out of his mind this year. Um, really kind of an MVP caliber type season mm-hmm. to start the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Bucks they're obviously going to beat up on the Central Division, uh, 8-0 against the division already this season. And, you know, that's just pretty much going to be a trend we see, especially with, you know, Indiana trading away Oladipo. And now you have the situation with Karis LeVert. Um, so they have an empty spot on their offense and, you know, the Central is going to be the Central, but like you said, um, and so the Bucks will rack up their wins like they typically do. Um, but, yeah, whoever can play defense against Brooklyn uh, will have the best chance of beating them for sure. It's it's the championship or bust for your team, right? Or are you going to give them another year if they yeah. fall short? You know, it, it certainly has the feeling of a championship or bust season. Um, you know, I – 
I try to look at it with a little bit of caution too, just because like, you know, you look at the years past and like I mentioned previously, you know, exiting the playoffs earlier than they probably should have. Um, and then they'd make that big splash move to bring in Drew Holiday. So it has that championship or bust feel to it um, and probably should be looked at it that way. Um, but then, you know, you realize that this is the first season with Drew Holiday even though it looks like they're starting to really mesh well. You know, they got off to a little bit of slow start, slow start but now winners of their last five in a row. Um, so it looks like they're starting to gel, and, you know, it it seems like a championship or bust, but also it's the first season with Holiday, so I guess you don't really know quite yet. You better win while Giannis is with the Bucks, because if you don't, <laughs> you know what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if they don't win with Giannis, that's going to go down as one of probably the biggest failures in franchise history. You, so. you better win or it's going to be Ted Davis calling 20-win Bucks t- seasons again. You don't want that. You don't want an empty house. I'm just telling I, you. I sat through a whole season of that when I was in the uh, Bucks fan section. <laughs> so I'd like, I'd like to take a hard pass on that. So we'll be keeping our eyes on the Bucks uh, in the East for sure as they have a good game against the Suns on ESPN tonight uh, on Wednesday as we record this. Travis, hey man, fear the deer, man. Keep your head up. Fear the deer, my guy. Good to hear from Travis Wacker from our station ESPN 1000 talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. A few news and notes here. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, the Captain J Hood Morning Show with me and David Kaplan. Mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and also download the ESPN Chicago app or you can find this on Spotify. A lot of additional bonus audio on the Spotify feed. Check it out. The Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Okay. Let me do a mea culpa. You know, sometimes you get on the air and you say a lot of things. And so I said about the All-Star game that, you know, why? Why would Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, want to have the All-Star game this year? Why have it in Atlanta? Okay, so I have had a ball in Atlanta. It's a city that I really enjoy. When I'm traveling, if I'm going to go on vacation or doing a work trip, I love Atlanta. I enjoy it because of uh, the city, uh, the club scene, the bar scene, uh, some of the sports scene I enjoy in Atlanta. So I I enjoy the city. Uh, JD and I have had a blast there covering Final Fours and everything else. And I said at the time, I said, you know, why is Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, going to even have an all-star game during this pandemic of COVID-19? I said, I think it's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. Well, you know what? I'm changing my mind on that. And here's why. It's because if you're the commissioner of the NBA, you know that TNT, the Turner Broadcasting, wants to have the revenue of having the All-Star festivities like you have on All-Star Saturday. Of course, the Celebrity Game, All-Star on Fridays. And then, the, as I mentioned, the what happens on Saturday with All-Star Saturday now with the dunk contest, three-point contest, the skills competition, and then having the game on Sunday. Well, TNT looks forward to that every single year. And my thought is this. After thinking about it, 
Why can't the commissioner just treat the players like men? Right? You, Atlanta is a terrific party city, and you can get anything that you want in Atlanta. I've been there, been there and done that. But the point is, is that if you're the commissioner, he's thinking, why stop the All-Star game? If these players don't realize that you have to wear a mask, you realize that you want to protect yourself, make sure that you don't get sick. If they don't realize that, that's on them. They're destroying their own team if they go out and get sick. If they don't, and look, Atlanta is a tough city to stay in the crib and do nothing, right? Because everything's out there. But the one thing about the All-Star game is that it's like the family reunion. It's like the barbecue. Everybody comes over and you get former players, you get executives, you've got people from shoe companies and everything else in between that, that come to a city where the All-Star game is. And so that is the case. But I think Silver makes a good point. It's not what he says literally, but this is what I'm thinking he's saying. He's saying, why cancel the All-Star game? If the players don't know to protect themselves, to wear a mask, to make sure that they don't get sick, that they don't infect the team or have COVID-19, then that's on them. He's putting it in the players' hands, saying, hey, be grown up, grown up and adult enough to realize that, hey, you could get sick from COVID-19, and we're not going to put you in this big bubble to make sure that you're sick. Hey, even if there is a bubble, players will do whatever they want to when they want to. So he's putting it on them. The onus is on them to stay safe, to make sure they're not sick, and enjoy All-Star Weekend. So... My first thought was, it's so ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about a, a real serious situation. Having it in Atlanta, where, you, where the mask policy is not necessarily adhered to in the state of Georgia very much. But you know what? Silver's right. Why not have the All-Star game? If the players are dumb enough to go out and, and get infected and have COVID-19 symptoms because they're not staying safe and not making sure that they are healthy enough to be at the All-Star game, then that's on them. They're doing it to their own team. So kudos to Adam Silver. You know what? He's right. And I am look forward to seeing what the All-Star game looks like, especially during these times of COVID-19. LeBron James is not happy about it, but too bad. He's got to stay safe just like everybody else to make sure that they are healthy enough to play. So absolutely right. Uh, I see D. Rose D Rose is back in the mix. D Rose got traded and wanted to be traded. He says that he feels the synergy with Tom Thibodeau. And so here he is, Derek Rose with Tom Thibodeau at, with the New York Knicks. So funny about the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau's never going to change. You would think if you've had three bites of the apple as a head coach that maybe you would alter some things. Like, man, I got fired from Chicago and I got fired from Minneapolis uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Maybe I'll change. Maybe I'll do some things differently. Nah, not Tibbs. Tibbs is Tibbs. He's going to do it his way. His third head coaching job. You know what he says? He says, I'm going to go with the veterans. Now, one of the things that... Uh, Thibodeau was criticized for in Chicago was that he didn't really love to play young players. And so with the Knicks, 
Julius Randle, he is the man on this team. Uh, as the Knicks, they lost the Heat the other night. But Julius Randle gets the ball early and often. He trusts him. He trusts Alfred Payton because he's a veteran in this league. R.J. Barrett's been in the league for a few years. But as far as time, quality time for quickly and for uh, Toppin, two young guards in the team, nope, he brought in Derrick Rose. Derrick came in 20 minutes, 14 points, 5 for 9 from the field, 2 for 3 from 3-point range, had a couple of foul shots, 3 assists uh, in the game in which the Knicks barely lost to the Miami Heat. Rose was one of the leading scorers coming off the bench for, with Detroit and liked playing for the Detroit Pistons. But now he's with someone in Tom Thibodeau. And Rose is all about it. Rose, you would think if Rose has a problem with Tom Thibodeau, he'd stop playing for him, right? He's like, no, nah, I don't want to play for this guy. But he's playing for Tom. He's playing for the New York Knicks. This is why Taj Gibson is on the Knicks is because Thibodeau is going to go with veterans. So I'll, I'll give this for the Knicks, right? They're four games under 500, but they're not an embarrassment that once as they once were. They're not an embarrassment at all. There's a, there's a semblance of a system that's in place. Now, again, I'm not saying that the Knicks are better than the Bulls or are going to be in the playoffs and all that stuff. I don't know about that this year. But one thing for sure, Tom's going to do it his way. As many veterans as possible and young people will sit on the bench and not have as much time to make a difference. Quickly, as we saw against Chicago, that guy is, he maximizes his minutes. He realizes he's not going to have a ton of, ton of time out there, so he is shooting from the bench if he can. He's shooting it well from three. He's a really, I think, good young player. So far, so good for him. But he brought Derek in because he wanted to solidify that roster with veterans. So good for Derek. Derek already was a, a good bench player for Detroit. He's going to do the same thing for this next team, stabilizing this team with more veterans uh, for Tom Thibodeau uh, and his team. So the Nets, we talk about the Nets all the time on this podcast because they're interesting. The story of the New York of the uh, Brooklyn Nets is very interesting. So they've been losing as of late. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, uh, but they lost to the Detroit Pistons the other night. And so the question still remains for me when it comes to this Nets team. So are you going to guard or not? Like, it's cool to see a big three out there because you're wondering what's going to happen. Will they implode or will they be able to play together? How does it look, right? When you've got Kevin Kevin Durant, a tremendous player, a top three, top four player in this league. Some believe that he's the best player in the NBA. You can always make the argument. But, man, when I'm watching the Nets against the Pistons the other night as the Pistons win 122-111. to 111. They gave up 122 points to a Pistons team that has no identity. <laughs> like, what the? What? So, Kyrie Irving had 27 points in the game. James Harden had 24. Now, again, with those two, you would think that you'd be able to win the game, right? 27 points and 24 points for Irving and Harden. Of course, KD is going through the COVID protocol, so he's not in the game uh, against the Detroit Pistons. But again, it's two of the big three, and yet the Pistons with Jeremy Grant with 32 points and, and Wright with 22 points. I'm like, what in the world? 
you can't guard, you can't win. I'll say this every time. As as potent as the Nets are offensively, it's crazy that they gave up 122 points to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, and so I saw this stat. The Nets are 7-11 against teams under 500. Now, everything is not going to be perfect, right? As soon as you put together a team like the Nets, especially with uh, young head coach and Steve Nash, it's not going to be perfect. But, man, I looked at that and I said, wow. At some point, the team will get better. But if they're not going to get better if they can't guard. And that is a big question mark for this basketball team. Lastly, on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, I want you to hear what Jay Billis had to say um, with Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, our morning show on ESPN 1000. It airs between 5 and 7 a.m. Central Time. You can get the entire show on the ESPN Chicago app if you care to. You can click their tab and hear all four hours of their show. But Jay Bills had some interesting things to say about the cross-section of COVID-19 and college basketball. And I want you to hear some things he said because they're very good. By the way, just as an aside... I've interviewed Jay Billis probably 10 times. I've only had one good interview with Jay Billis. For whatever reason, he and I don't mesh. Maybe I'm not asking the right questions. But one time I was working with Carmen and I got him to laugh. And I was like, I I felt so relieved. It was like the last time I talked to him. I felt so relieved. I'm like, oh, God. He actually, I actually got him to break. I got him to be interested in my questions or my thoughts. So we, whatever reason, I haven't been good with, uh, (laughs) with Jay Billis, but uh, he's very good as far as college basketball knowledge and rap, by the way. He's very good with bars. Uh, Some thoughts here from Jay Billis regarding the cross-section of COVID-19 tournament play and college basketball. Here's Jay Williams. So there's a difference between young talent and young super talent. They've got young talent, but they don't have young super talent like they've had in the past. JB, is it right the amount of pressure put on these young adults? And I I won't refer to them as kids because I think you're absolutely spot on with this young adults, especially considering that Miami, uh, North Carolina game that was postponed the other day due to, you know, the young adults partying after the Duke, North Carolina game when North Carolina won. Do you feel like the amount of pressure put on kids is the correct way to go about this? Well, I don't have a problem with it, Jay. It just seems that that we're, we're like, talking out of both sides of our mouths in this thing you know on on one hand you know we talk about this being college sports and at the beginning of the pandemic and look this is difficult for everybody there's nobody has all the right answers i'm not suggesting anybody does but at the beginning of all this you know the ncaa said no no students on campus no college sports that's not what we're about and then you know they they said we will never play in bubbles we are not the nba and there are no students on campus and they're flying all over the country when the government's telling us you know don't travel unless it's essential and uh, and we're playing in bubbles. Like the players, as you know, are in isolation. The Duke players, and this this happens at, at a bunch of schools. They've been living in a hotel since uh, August, and they're all in isolation, let out of the pen only to go to practice and to go back into the gym where they have their online classes, things like that. So you know, look, they're not they're not you know in a penitentiary or anything. Nobody's suggesting that, but it isn't easy. And the real threats to their health and safety are the coaches and staff because they go home at night and interact with their families who go in all their separate directions. And, you know, so the North Carolina players made a mistake, you know, but they've been eight months in isolation. And, you know, they have to come out and apologize, and everybody's talking about, you know, there'll be severe consequences for them. And, 
you know, I don't, I don't hear anybody saying, well, hey, wait a minute, this coach got the virus. What are the severe consequences for them? Um, what, what this lays bare is that, that this entire multi-billion dollar entertainment industry rides on the shoulders of the players. And the players have to be in isolation or it's not going to work. And, and, and we rationalize it by saying, well, they want to. You know, it's voluntary. They want to. Therefore, it's okay. And it just goes against what the narrative has been all this time. I'm okay with it, but we just ought to, ought to admit we're, that we're doing this for money. And, uh, and look, I, we all do things for money. It's okay. But, but we need to admit it. Let's talk about doing things for money. It's obviously to get to the final goal, which is March Madness. But before we get there, you have to go through your conference tournament. So a team like Baylor, who's postponed three games, uh, three more games already, it, what's it, how do you feel about this narrative that's starting to build about teams saying, hey, I don't want to really compete in my conference tournament if that increases the risk of my kids getting affected, and that means we won't participate, won't be able to participate or have the best chance to win March Madness, which is obviously the ultimate goal. Yeah, Jay, it's the same same analysis that we're talking out of both sides of our mouths, and now the narrative's changing. You know, we're moving, to mix a sports metaphor, we're moving the goalposts now again. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, hey, the kids want to play. This is about competition. They deserve the chance to compete, and they just want to play. And now it's, wait a minute. And then everybody said, look, it's safe. Like, we've got all these protocols. It's safe. And now it's not safe to play against your own conference members that are uh, in the same protocols as you have agreed to the same protocols as you have because now you're worried about the risk of the NCAA tournament. Well, that goes against the narrative that, that we've had. And, and opting out, like, well, it's funny, earlier in the year when I and others had brought up sort of, we need to discuss this, not, not whether we can play, but whether we should. And nobody said it was wrong for us to play or we should pause or stop playing, but we need to discuss it. And, uh, and everybody, you know, we were shut down by people saying, and a lot of coaches saying, hey, you can opt out if you, if you want to. Um, you know, any team doesn't want to play, opt out. And that includes the media. I even had one coach say that includes the media. You don't, want to, you don't want to be a part of this? Opt out, which I found to be a rather dismissive way to handle something instead of just discussing the underlying. Well, now, you know, that's the same thing. Like, if you want to opt out of the season, opt out. You don't get to opt out of this game versus that game. Now, if you've got a, if you've got a health and safety concern that, that you think it's an unreasonable health condition or safety condition, then address that condition, see if you can cure it, and uh, but but if it's not safe for you, it's not safe for anybody else. So that's a different deal. But they're, nobody's saying that. They're saying we don't want to do it because we don't want to risk the next game, the next competition. And I don't think that's what competitors do. I don't think they pick and choose where they play. They play uh, the scheduled games as they come up. And I, I think if I were the NCAA uh, selection committee, the tournament committee that runs the whole thing, uh, I would have come out already and say if, if you're eligible to play in your conference tournament and you don't, you're not going to be eligible to play in the NCAA tournament because that that's a, a competitive a competitive issue and an integrity of the tournament issue. Because if, if say Gonzaga, which everybody's talking about, if Gonzaga doesn't play in their tournament, then a team that otherwise wouldn't have made it might win the conference championship and it knocks out another team that would have made it as not large. And that's a competitive integrity issue. Strong commentary there from Jay Billis from ESPN, a college basketball analyst. I'd love to get your reaction to what Jay said. Is he right? Double standard between the student athletes and coaches and playing your conference tournament. You just don't skip it just because you don't want to play it. 
Uh, love to get your reaction on my Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood, Instagram, igjhood as well. One last note, Heather Dinich from ESPN says the Big Ten is moving its men's basketball tournament from the United Center in Chicago to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis in order to provide more centralized testing and medical protocol efficiencies during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, that was announced earlier today. So the 2021 tournament will be held March 10th through the 14th and will precede the NCAA men's basketball tournament. The next time that the Big Ten tournament will return to Chicago will be in 2023. So that is according to Heather Dinich from ESPN. 2023, next time we'll get the Big Ten tournament. All right, we thank you for listening to the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Thanks so much for supporting it. Don't forget you can catch me with David Kaplan, 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Follow me on Clubhouse. Do you have the Clubhouse app? Look for J-Hood Radio on the Clubhouse app. Love for you to follow me so I can follow you as well on Clubhouse. And don't forget, you can catch this show on the Cap and J-Hood podcast and also on Spotify. There's some things on Spotify that you might have missed, like my shows I've been hosting on NBA Radio. I did a show with Mitch Lawrence um, this past Saturday. We went through some of the weekend games. It's all there on Spotify. Subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. If you love basketball, college pro, everything else in between, you'll love the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook.